up in the night Your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed You'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday Where we have assembled for you And by we I mean Chrissy A wonderful lineup of your Listener submitted stories About odd but true happenings In your life And this runs the gamut from Horrors real and horrors that you can only uh, conjure in your brain. There's <laughs> some of these you're like, oh, yeah, humanity is truly the greatest monster of all. And there's kind of a common thread mm-hmm. throughout these of something completely offline we've been discussing all day, courtesy of my husband, <laughs> in a chat thread we all have um, that's all about incels and and <laughs> some subreddit he found. So... As I was toggling between that chat and picking the stories, I was like, oh, God, these people really are out there. They're everywhere, and you might have to experience or encounter them. And if Mm. you do, by all means, we would uh, appreciate to share your story. Mm -hmm. Yes, and why I might arrange them, it's the listeners that are really doing the work here by sending us in their, their amazing stories. We... We'll edit some stuff just for reading clarity purposes, but other than that, it's all y'all's words. So thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Christy. And I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from June, and it is called The Demon That Follows. My mother would always tell me that I had something weird around me as a child. In her thick southern accent, she reenacts this story. Now, Junie was just standing there in her crib, gabbing away, and I said, June, baby, who are you talking to? Apparently, I replied in a dead serious tone, the witch. This story is always a crowd pleaser, and it fits well with my heavily tattooed persona at the dinner table, surrounded by fuddy-duddy family. I'm Weird Aunt June, the Aunt June that shows the kids how to make corn dolls on Thanksgiving. Okay, so now you know a little bit about me. Now, let's really get into it. It was senior year of high school, and I had just moved in with my grandmother in good old Burleson, Texas. I hated it. The only thing to do there was to go to the Dairy Queen or the strip mall with the Borders bookstore. I was hanging out with a new friend and her friend. We were heading back to take him home in the sticks of Cleburne. He lived on a farm. It was pitch black out there. We came down his long driveway, and I opened the passenger door to pull the seat forward and let him out. I gasped. They said, what's wrong? What did you see? I said, I just saw an orange streak go under the car. Must have been a cat. It was glowing, but I wasn't about to say that out loud. The kid that lived there said, oh, (laughs) that's just the demons. I rolled my eyes, said my goodbyes, and hopped back in my friend's car. I brought it up to her as we got closer to my house. What was up with that? He was just trying to scare me, huh? No, she said seriously. They live on Native American burial ground out there. They see stuff in their barn all the time. Now, at the time, I wasn't a believer in that, quote, woo-woo stuff. So I just said, 
Oh, okay. Sure. Sure. I didn't think I would remember this weird orange streak again until one morning I was sitting in my car, flipping through my CD collection, trying to find the perfect CD to listen to on my way to school. I see this, I feel this thing in my peripheral vision. I turn my head and see a glowing orange streak the size and shape of a man, maybe six feet, just standing a few feet away from the back of my car. I think, great, something's wrong with my vision. I'm going blind. Then it just keeps happening. I keep seeing this figure at my job in the bookstore, at school in the hallways. I didn't want to tell anyone. How crazy would I sound, right? Yeah, um, there's a glowing orange man following me, and he flies away when I try to get a good look at him. No thanks. I'll just keep this one to myself and hope it goes away on its own. Then one night, something came into my room. You know when you can feel someone watching you? When I was just about to fall asleep, I opened my eyes and saw this dark, unrecognizable figure at the foot of my bed. I jolted up. Now I was awake. This was not sleep paralysis. I know what that feels like. The thing at the end of my bed was probably five foot four and very wide. I couldn't make out the shape. It wasn't human. It reminded me of an owl, the way it just stood there, staring at me, wide-eyed, unblinking. The eyes looked milky. I don't know what bravery I mustered out of my ass, but I whispered, Get out! Nothing happened. I panicked, sweating. I feel like my whole body is hollowed out and full of writhing worms. In the name of Jesus Christ, get the fuck out of my house! I squeezed my eyes shut, opened, it was gone. Whatever it was. Now I'm not religious, but I've seen the exorcist and I sure as hell will start wielding crosses and shouting about Jesus if I see something I can't explain. I laid back down, heart pounding in my chest. I shut my eyes tight. Then I heard my door creak open. I sat up and saw a white ghostly figure standing in my doorframe. I half gasped and screamed. Then I heard it scream back. Nanny, I said. It was my 90-year-old grandmother. She was in her white floor-length nightgown. She croaked. Judy, I thought the devil had you by the hair. I sat there looking back at her in the dark and whispered, What? She answered very flatly, I dreamed the devil got you. Then just closed my door and went back to bed. I was dumbfounded. What the hell just happened? Did she hear me talking to that thing? I wanted it to be far from my mind. I turned on my lamp and started reading a Harry Potter book until I eventually fell asleep. The next morning, I see my grandmother making coffee. Good morning, I say. Good morning, Judy. The birds are singing for you. She said this every morning, but today it felt more creepy than sweet. Nanny, what did you mean when you talked to me last night? I didn't want to repeat it. She was silent for a moment, sipping her coffee. When? Last night, at like two in the morning, you came in my room. You, you, you said you had a bad dream about me, I think. No, honey, I don't think so. Have I lost my damn mind? Then I remember Nanny does take Ambien to go to sleep. Maybe it was just the Ambien talking? Either way, it was just too much of a creepy coincidence. 
Days, weeks, months pass, and I don't see the glowing man anymore. Not once. He was following me for weeks, and I haven't seen him since. Was the demon following me? Did Nanny somehow know that I cast this so-called demon or devil out of her house? I've tried to find something online about glowing figures. No luck. If you've heard anything about something like this, please let me know. It's an experience I will never forget. Keep it creepy, June. Well, Junie, I did you a favor and I did a little Googling. What have we found? I've found a website called colorpsychology.org slash ghost-orbs-colors-meaning. So it's <laughs> Lots of dashes in there. You know, with all those dashes, it's a legitimate website. <laughs> it says that a bright orange spirit is an indication that a protective and good spirit is close. The spirit may be there to provide protection or because they have befriended your spirit and wish to visit. A bright orange ghost is never a reason for concern since these are good spirits. And then for bright white, it says this is a suggestion of divine energy following you or on your side. This is believed to be energy sent from the heavens when you are sad, grieving, worried, or scared. Numerous experts believe this light is sent by God when it is needed the most. Now, I will say, love when something says numerous experts and there's citation needed. There's no citation <laughs> to like a footnote of all these experts. But based on this very quick Google search, those are both like bright, protective colors. So hopefully it wasn't a demon. Maybe the orange was protecting her from whatever came into the house that night. Yeah, it might be. If there was something in the house, it was this, uh, you know, glowing spirit protecting you and your friends. Native American burial ground trope is kind of a, that was like a throwaway. Oh, it's the devil worshipers over there. Like, oh, it's old Native American mm-hmm. burial ground. So I don't think those would explain it. I think that's probably just an ill-informed rumor. I think these, whatever spirits were around that, it sounds like if they're orange, they're either UT Longhorn fans <laughs> or it could be University of Tennessee Vols fans too, too? or... They're just uh, protective spirits. Mm-hmm. I would like to say, rest in peace, Borders Bookstore. Not for the books, but for the cafe. There was a very specific oh, yeah. iced coffee that I miss that has never been made anywhere else. Gosh. My grandparents lived in Cleburne. Spent many, many, many times in Cleburne in my youth and teenaging, even into my uh, college years. So shout out to Cleburne. It is uh, I won't, there are country parts. It's it's yeah. a small town. It's a small rural. Texas town. Yeah, it's very it's rural. So and Burleson is the same way too. But yeah, um, sounds like your grandma either ambient her way in there to protect you. Doesn't remember doing it, or maybe projected astral projected in there. Yeah, nanny nanny's powerful. I think mm-hmm. so. She was protecting you in her. Glowing white With light. The power of ambient. She astral projected herself into your room <laughs> to protect you. It's like may cause side effects like astral projection, <laughs> driving while, or eating birdseed that you think is popcorn. May cause side effects like casting a demon out of your house. Or you could drive your car unknowingly and end up off a bridge. Yeah, All don't these do things that. have happened. But then you astral project after that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I uh, we've talked about it before. I don't. Me and Ambien, we ain't friends, so we don't we don't talk anymore. Ambien and I are fine. We we don't beef, but there's I don't really uh, consider us friends. It's yeah. kind of a neutral thing for me. So yeah, let her go. You're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you love something, let it go. Or if it doesn't help you, also let it go. Well, this next one is from Sam. Sam has sent in several tales, and we are very big fans of her and her mom, Sandy. The subject line for this is, My Other Uncle. 
the murderer, greetings and another tale from Mama Sandy. Hey y'all, tis I, the mouthpiece for Sandy, who had one brother nearly kidnapped in Chowchilla in the 70s and had a run-in with the demonic sock monkey as a child. It took me a couple of weeks to catch up and hear the Freaky Friday episode y'all did when you read about her story at Great Aunt Jeannie's, and it just so happened I was visiting my mother the same weekend I listened, so I got to play it for her immediately. I can't thank you enough for being interested in the wild tales she's told me and my sibs all these years, only because of how much she's enjoyed it. She's listened to y'all read it and got just as big of a kick out of it as the first time, laughing at your comments and at times going, that's true, that's true. She is an ornery one, in case you can't tell, and is tickled by this whole thing. So after listening, she told me first to make clear that you can call her mama all you want. Then she told me that the next story I had to send in was this one. I asked her why and tried to pry a different one from her, because this is a morbid one. But she was insistent, so here it goes. Content warning. This is a fact of my family that we have had many years to grapple with, so sometimes I'm not as aware as I should be about warning people, unfortunately. I just want to make it clear. Details of a murder are to follow. I've altered some names for privacy reasons, but since this happened in your neck of the woods, I've included links to what I can if you're interested in the real names off air. I think I've mentioned this before, but my mom is one of nine kids, and pretty much every one of her siblings had at least two kids, if not more. For a long time, we were all located in the same area, the San Joaquin Valley in California. When I was younger, we were one of those families, where everywhere you go in town, you see a cousin or a sibling or an aunt, and multiple generations had spanned the small town schools and businesses. On Easter, we were the reason you couldn't go play in the town park because we were so huge, we'd rent the park out for celebrating. I legitimately don't know the exact number of cousins I have on my mom's side, mostly because, though we were that family when I was young, we didn't remain that family over the years. I won't get into details of the multiple dramas, but it was only a matter of time before branches of the family began to snap off and fall far, far away from the tree. My Uncle Dick and his family were one of those branches. He was one of the younger children of my grandmothers. He was incredibly spoiled and incredibly disturbed. When he was younger, my mom says he used to torture and kill animals. When caught, he would blame it on his cousins, whom you've read about already, sadly, or lie about how it happened, how it was some sort of fantastical accident. If your alarm bells are already ringing, good, because it doesn't get any better from here. As he got older, his entitled attitude continued. A successful businessman, beautiful trophy wife, two kids, one girl, one boy, he had literally no reason in the world to hate his life or anyone in it. But unfortunately, my uncle was just a hateful man. On the outside, he was Mr. Perfect, but anyone who knew him closely knew the real dick. He vacillated between smug, self-righteous, vindictive, and depressed. He struggled with alcohol and drug addiction and was a serial cheater, often bragging to his friends and even, yes, his family, about all the affairs he was having. He treated women in general like dirt, sexually harassing women who worked for him and then firing them and threatening them when they rejected his advances. I didn't interact with him much when I was young because his children were of the older cousins who didn't care about hanging out with me, the baby of the family. But I remember how my uncle was. Children know, 
and I knew. I remember never feeling comfortable around him, a little afraid at times, although he never raised a hand to me, and I never wanted to be alone with him. I didn't have that problem with his wife. I loved my Aunt Dee. She was bright and loved kids. The worst part was everyone knew Dick was abusive to Dee, but no one could make either of them do anything sensible about it. They refused to divorce. Finally, the family tension got so bad, Dick took Dee and moved to Texas where his grown-up kids lived. He was tired of everyone making me the bad guy. Cue eye roll. I barely heard from them after this, until one day I came home from school and found my mother, inconsolably sobbing, lying on her bathroom floor, the phone clutched in her hand. It took several days for the whole story to work its way to us across state lines, but essentially, this is what happened. Dick and Dee were fighting as usual, but apparently her mom and friends were finally getting through to her about leaving my uncle. She was getting bolder about standing up to him and told him she wanted to leave. They had a huge fight where he beat her, and she drove off to clear her head. When she came back after cooling off, my uncle waited until she had turned her back and strangled her with a shoelace. My uncle then put her body in the trunk of his car. He drove to Waco and attended a business meeting that he'd had scheduled, leaving her body in the trunk the whole time. After his meeting, he drove to an empty field next to the high school my aunt worked for and dumped her body there. When Monday morning came and my aunt didn't show up for work, her friends and family knew something was wrong. They called the police and reported her missing, pointing them to her husband. Dick told the officers he had no idea where she was, saying that, saying that she must have been abducted. He tried to keep up the lie for another day or two, even getting the town to distribute missing person flyers about her. Then the police found both blood in the house and in his car. After that, he cracked and told them what he'd done, leading them to her body. At the end of March 2007, my uncle was convicted of the murder and sentenced to 40 years in prison. Since then, he's written countless letters to members of the family over and over again. It destroys my mother every time she has to read his lying ass crying about how, oh, you know, he found God and he needed her forgiveness and he wanted her to help his attorney with appeals. And could she please have some of her single women friends write to him as he was lonely? My mother has one of the largest hearts you'll ever find in a human being, and we can't get her to stop reading his stupid letters. But thankfully, we have supported her and helped her to not write back to him or speak to him at all. Unfortunately, she struggles often with feeling guilty, as if somehow she failed her baby brother, and that's why he became who he is. Dick's rot infected his children as well, but thankfully they have turned their lives around and are now really thriving. His son Jay was in prison too, for drug-related charges, not following in his dad's shit-stained footsteps, thank everything holy. But Jay is out now and working hard to be better. Dick's daughter, Jane, is happily married with three beautiful children and has a very fulfilling life. More rifts in the family occurred, actually, after Dick went to prison. One of my other uncles decided that, even though Jane had explicitly told everyone in the family she did not want her father to know anything about her life or for anyone to talk about her or her family to the murderer, it would be somehow fine to share pictures of her kids with Dick during a prison visit. Suffice to say, that branch has also, from this and other incidents, fallen farther away from the tree. Keep it creepy, friends, just not as creepy as my asshole of an uncle. 
That's so hard for Jane, especially because you lose your mom and, you know, you lose your dad, who sounds like not a great guy in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then you set up a specific boundary and Mm -hmm. to have someone just disregard that boundary is uh, you can't. I think that family member showing the photos to Dick, the family member is probably like, well, he wanted to see him and I was there. It's like you have to understand you're not. Jane, like you're mm-hmm. not in her shoes, mm-hmm. and so she gets to make that call. And I think that's always difficult when you're in that position. Yeah, if you're getting re-traumatized and mm-hmm. re-victimized over and over. If he was abusive to D over the years, I'm sure the kids saw that on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. And then you lose your mom to domestic violence. I wouldn't want my dad knowing about my life or my kids either. He doesn't get that privilege. He, yeah, lost, he lost it. He lost me and the connection to me and everyone involved with me uh, when he did that as far as I would be concerned. So I totally get breaking off connection for sure. I want to say to Mama, you are not responsible for this. We Nothing we do can make someone do something like this, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the whole nature versus nurture argument, but something like this, it's not just an overnight thing. Like, he... It sounds like even since a child, he was troubled torturing animals. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. one of the McDonald's triad of a serial killer. So just mama know that you are beloved by us, first of all, and also not responsible for for this at all. No, we're only responsible for ourselves. And, Mm -hmm. you you know, your mama's doing what mama could do and raising her babies and, you know, loving her family how she can love them. And you can't love somebody into being not a monster, you know, not Mm -hmm. an abusive asshole. Uh, And that's not a one person thing. Like you said, it's going to be a thousand things that have happened to him throughout his years that Mm -hmm. have shaped him like that. So, well, Sam, thank you for being the mouthpiece for Mama Sandy. We love to hear Mm -hmm. any and all stories from her. And uh, sorry, this was a particularly hard one. But like you said, when this something like this happens in your family, you also you establish a way of talking about it kind mm-hmm. of almost as like a grief. So thank you for the content warning, but mm-hmm. definitely understand that having gone through something like that where you just sort of say it in a matter of fact way. It, sometimes people are like, whoa, whoa, I didn't. Um, but it's just how we all grieve differently. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, this next one ties into the last Freaky Friday we did where we talked about the back rooms and our fascination and asked for anyone that's had possible experience to write in sky heated the call this is from sky and this is called i was lost in the las vegas back rooms i never thought i'd have a story to submit until i heard y'all talk about the back rooms and now i finally feel like i found an explanation for what happened to me on the vegas strip about two years ago my friends and i took a trip to las vegas and last minute my younger brother decided to tag along He's old enough to do everything in Vegas, but came down with pretty bad anxiety and then actual sickness while we were there. Because he decided to come last minute, he was staying in the same hotel as my friends and I, but in a different tower. So when I had breaks between activities, I would go bring him food and hang out. Anyway, my friends and I were at the pool at the Link Hotel and had a little to drink and smoke. We got more sun than we prepared for, so we all headed up to our rooms to nap before heading to dinner later that night. I decided to take this time to slip away and go see my brother, so instead of getting in the elevator with my friends, I decided to take the stairs by myself. I walked down a flight of stairs that led to the back area where all the restaurants and stores backed up to, but the direction of everything didn't make sense to me, and I needed to get back into the hotel. At this point, all of my friends were asleep and my phone had no service to call my brother. This is when I realized 
no one knew where I was. Every door I walked through would lock behind me, and I was getting more and more lost and panicked. I ended up finding an area that was technically outdoors, and I could see people coming out of the backs of restaurants to smoke cigarettes and throw away garbage. I waved and tried to talk to them, but my voice felt frozen, and they looked right through me. At the time, I assumed they probably just saw drunk girls in bikinis get lost back there all the time and didn't have time to deal with me. But in hindsight, I don't know if they saw me at all. I had a terrible feeling of dread as I continued walking through these seemingly endless hallways and restaurant kitchens. Eventually, I was able to get service and call my brother. He made it out of his room and tried to find someone who could open one of the doors I had walked through but the hotel employee told them there was no way to open the doors or get out. The employee wouldn't help him give me directions and was generally annoyed to even be talking to him. Scared to end up in a different area away from me, we decided he should stay close to his room and I would find him. I lost signal again and went back to walking the hallways trying to find a way out. Even though a lot of these hallways and stairwells were technically outside and it was the desert in May, the air felt heavy humid, and oppressive. I had a hard time catching my breath and couldn't talk to any of the people I saw. I was terrified and so turned around. I felt embarrassed and stupid for losing my sense of direction, but I needed to get out. Eventually, I found a bathroom that had no doors. It was just open, kind of like the bathrooms at elementary schools, where the sinks are in the front. I walked past the row of stalls and urinals, I guess it was a men's bathroom, And in the front side was a set of glass doors, just marked with a restroom symbol. I walked through the doors and was back on the street. The air felt light and I could breathe again. My phone started going off with a ton of missed texts now that I had service. I looked around and realized I was near the high roller, about a mile and a half from the hotel. I walked back to the link, shaking. In all my years going to Vegas and staying in the same area, I had never noticed that restroom door. I honestly wonder if it was really there at all or just a way for me to escape. This experience was unlike any feeling I've ever had. When I tell the story, everyone just laughs and assumes I was drunk and anxious, but the feeling of being see-through and trapped has never left me. If you end up reading this, I also want to say thank you, and if you're ever in Phoenix, I will be there. Well, you've we've all had an experience in Vegas, but not like this, where you feel like invisible nightmare hallway. The thing that really made me like, like sick to my stomach was the thought of going through a door. And I imagine those thick kind of metal doors with the like Mm -hmm. we push the handle on, push it to go out. Mm -hmm. And it's like a long rectangle. And then you come out and it closes behind you and then to turn around and that handle is locked. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about going, well, I'll just go through this one. And you push through and go, well, maybe I'll go back the other way. And then that's how you just keep getting deeper and deeper in the back rooms. Yeah, This bathroom spooky. situation, very strange. The whole thing is is weird. Vegas, to get lost in Vegas just anywhere is nerve-wracking because yeah. there's so much going on. Oh, constantly sounds, lights, people, Oh, my people, gosh, so smoke. overwhelming. Yeah. But then you're separated from your friends you're in a bathing suit and a towel, maybe. Mm-hmm. You're a little tipsy, maybe a little high. So you, we've all been there. But then all of a sudden there's a moment where, like, clarity hits. And mm-hmm. you're like, all right, yeah, I smoke and drank. 
but Just now things are beyond what that would have done. Like something is going on. And to say right, the interaction with people and them not replying, one rude if you did see her, but if you didn't, <laughs> then if they did super see her, creepy. Yeah, then I don't know what's going on. But yeah, that's um. Bananas. This is from what I've read. This is backroom stuff. We have another entry too. I didn't put it in this one. Similar type of story, though, involving stairwells. We'll include it on an upcoming one. But the moral of the story is, if able, take the elevator. (laughs) Don't take the stairs. Well, also the idea of somebody not knowing where you are and where you're walking going, this is weird. I'll just tell. Oh, I can't text anybody. Gulp. It's like, oh. Well, I really am stuck back here, but that is very freaky. Yeah, don't go on the don't go down the stairs, and also stay where there's cell phone service or at least Wi-Fi, so you can yeah. like WhatsApp I'm, chat somebody. Imagine if you need though, to. it wasn't that long ago when we didn't have that. I was recently you know? thinking about that. The, the last episode we covered, I was like, you know, some of those folks. It was 2005, and I had like a Nokia like mm-hmm. candy bar cell phone where I could for ten cents send a text, and I was like, oh, do I want to spend ten cents on this? Gosh. Oof. But even that, you know, it didn't work 100% of the time. Yeah. It wasn't perfect. And so, yeah, thinking about – I thought about that today of, like, if if I wasn't seen by somebody who would think it was weird, like if Paris was out of town or something, and I was like, probably you would be the first person that would be like, something's – Heather's missing. Because, like, I, we talk all day, every day. Nearly like, Anne, yeah. Well, yeah, and Leanne, too. So, and some days, like, if she's working, like, I, like I didn't really – Probably me bit. first because we literally talk – Every day, all day. So, yeah. If I mean, I we talk from when we wake her- up in the morning to when we go to bed yeah. at night. That, like, I think if there wasn't even at least one check in, and like, we know, like, the other one's kind of sleep patterns and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, I think, like, if eventually you'd be like, hey, buddy, or vice versa, <laughs> like, you know, you reach out to Paris or whatever, I think we would each be the first just because we're a, mm-hmm. like, a, somebody yeah, asked the other sure. day, what do y'all, what do you just call each other? I said, attached at the hip. I don't know. <laughs> Conjoined at this point. We're you like, best- called- yesterday, you, you, I was expected to be on a call. I wasn't, and you immediately were like, something's wrong, and you started calling. <laughs> what was wrong is a stray puppy had wandered into our yard, and Ella came running in, and I gave it a bath, and it was a whole thing. And then, but, like, you knew that, like, you were like, I knew it had to be something off the wall, because yeah. we know pretty much what each other's doing. Also, right? we can, we're on each other's find-a-phone, so we can just see <laughs> where true, each true. other is all the time, too. We can never but if we escape. didn't have those phones, yeah, you know? What you're saying is technology is making us better or not. In some ways, making us more connected, but also less connected in some ways. Think about that for a second. Damn. (laughs) You just come in here and drop bombs, drop knowledge. Knowledge, uh, like I'm thinking smoke bombs like in a high school bathroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's how I like to leave a conversation too. I just throw a smoke bomb down and then leave like a job on the rest of development. (laughs) All right, well, this next one is from M, and the subject line is, Someone was watching from not too afar. Hello, crew. I've been listening to the pod since episode one, and you both make me laugh out loud. The pod helped me through early motherhood and pandemic quarantine, so thank you. I grew up in Irving, Texas. Being a Dallas crew, I'm sure you're familiar, but for those who aren't, Irving is a town just across the city line from Dallas. When I was young, we lived on a cul-de-sac with an island of trees in the center. Our home was an older ranch style that we always thought was haunted, but in this story, the threat was coming from the outside. When I was in fourth grade, my parents got divorced, and my dad had just moved out. I began a strange habit of falling asleep with my head at the foot of the bed so that I could stare up at a huge window in my room. 
One night, I was laying there, watching the blinds in the window, when I heard a noise. I told myself to calm down. It was nothing or just the AC unit kicking on. Then, I saw something in the window. Again, just a tree branch, I told myself, and my 20-2200 vision must be failing me. Then, I saw the clear outline of a person's head peering in my window, gazing down at me as I lie in bed. I screamed the high-pitched scream that only a nine-year-old girl can achieve, you know the one, and my mom came running in. I told her what had happened. She calmed me down and let me sleep with her, but she was convinced that my terrible eyesight, combined with the fact that my dad just moved out, had played a terrible trick on me. Fast forward two weeks. My dad took my older sister and me out for dinner. When we returned, there was a police car with its lights on in front of my house. My dad left us with an officer and ran inside. Turns out that after we left for dinner, my mom relaxed in the bathtub and she heard a sound outside the window that was right next to her. She went to our living room to check things out. We had big glass doors leading out to our back porch. My mom flipped on the light and saw a man standing at the door. He took off as fast as he could. She called the cops, who looked around our home, and found muddy footprints going up to all of our windows. The police went around our cul-de-sac asking if neighbors saw anything and to warn them that a prowler was about. My family and I went to stay at a friend's house for a few days. Eventually, we went back home, and one day, our next-door neighbors, who we knew very little, knocked on our door. It turns out, the night my mom called the police, their 16-year-old son, let's call him James to protect the name of the pervert here, had come home with a cut on his palm with some random story of what had happened to it. After the cops came to their home and asked if they saw anything, his parents became suspicious of James and questioned him. He admitted that he had cut his palm jumping over the fence between our houses on the night my mom saw him. After realizing it was James who the cops were called on, his parents came over to inform my mom. I respect them for doing so, but knowing my mom, I can imagine that she wasn't so kind when she explained that James had actually been over more than once and had scared me to death by looking in my window. His parents made him come over and apologize to my mom while I hid in the kitchen, terrified. To me, he wasn't the kid next door, but a boogeyman who had terrorized me. We tried to sell our house, but it took over two years, so we had to live next door to the asshole the entire time. We would see James from time to time, mowing his yard and weeding the island in the center of the cul-de-sac. Punishment, perhaps? We can only assume, or hope, I guess, that James was trying to peep on my mom and my teenage sister and not me at nine years of age. I slept with my mom for an entire year and developed terrible insomnia. I vividly remember hearing the Cheers theme song throughout those nights as I insisted we leave the TV on Nick at Night the entire time. Years later, well into my 20s, I made a friend who had attended the same high school as James, an all-boys Catholic prep school that you Dallasites probably know. I'll leave it at that. My friend knew James socially and asked him one day about being a peeping Tom. James told my friend that we were liars, fucking liars, actually, and that I made the whole thing up. Well, maybe James should tell his parents that. When they spoke to my mother, they admitted that they had many concerns about James prior to his being caught in our yard. He made them so uncomfortable that they wouldn't even let him be alone in a room with his own sisters. At any rate, I think about him often and hope that looking in our windows is the worst thing that James will ever do. Thanks for reading, ladies. Keep your eye on those teenage boys next door, or they may keep their eye on you. M. P.S. 
When I attended the University of Texas at Austin, I lived a few blocks away from the apartment in which Colton Pitanyak murdered Jennifer Cave. Terribly scary to have lived so close when it happened, but even more tragic as the story unfolded. Lots to unpack here. The um, That case that is mentioned at the end that the podcast The Orange Tree is about is horrifying. Oh, yes. It's very, very sad, very gruesome. Uh, so if you're interested in that more, then uh, The Orange Tree would be a great podcast to check out about that. To feel this way about your kid and tell your neighbor... We are so worried about him. We don't even let him stay alone with his sisters. That's a lot of personal information to tell a neighbor that you don't really know that well. That's There's probably a reason why they sent him to an all-boys school, and it's probably St. Mark's if it's the one that they're talking about. I would guess, yeah. Um, But, yeah, uh, hopefully if they knew that about him and his tendencies that he was getting some help. Because that's My, horrifying. Oh, it's completely horrifying. My lawyer brain kicked in and was like, oh, so you have prior knowledge of his bad acts. Oh, We're about to see you. that's true. <laughs> that's so So if he had done something, possibly, I mean, you can't sue a minor, but you could you sue, sue the parents. parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And through the homeowners, usually it's like your homeowner's policy mm-hmm. sometimes covers it just depending on the terms. But yeah, that is... I am just thinking from the perspective of M as a little girl, mm-hmm. when you're laying in your bed and you, it's one of those like a horror movie where you go, oh, there's probably a man standing mm-hmm. out staring at me. No, it's a tree. Nope. It's that a man. That is really a man. Yeah. Fuck. Um, well, and then this, you're not her believed yes. because of the circumstances they said. So parents, it doesn't take much to just take a look around the outside of the house. You probably would have seen those muddy footprints. And then, you know, your kid is telling the truth, you know, so I'm glad that it didn't go past that. But to find him again outside, like, I feel like that's an escalation thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, with so many people we've covered, it kind of starts like that and then they get braver and braver. So like M said, I hope that that was the worst that James ever did. Yeah, and then he, he got caught from that. One is, from her mom's perspective, you know, your husband, ex-husband's moving out, so now you're at home alone. Your mind may say, please, it can't be a peeping Tom because I don't, you know, who am I going to fight? Like, what am I, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, or maybe she's like, you know, you're just going with the Occam's razor, right? Most likely it was a tree. There's mm-hmm. this, like, island of trees in the middle. It probably was that, but you're right. doesn't hurt to just take a, take a gander and, you know, just rule that out mm-hmm. or... Call the police. This is yeah. why. Nowadays, of course, this was back in the day. Nowadays, this shit would get picked up on uh, cameras outside, oh, like yeah. motion sensor cameras outside. Mm-hmm. I wish somebody would try to look through my windows. I'll look back at them. <laughs> You're just constantly looking at your put window. The, I'll put Elwood. I'll put the Blues Brothers Stop. in the window. Dude, I'm saying it's my like puppets. a home alone situation. You could just set them. <laughs> all the weird shit you got in your house. I'm looking at McGruff the Crime Dog and a puppet of Abe Lincoln right now. Between those guys... <laughs> And the Blues Brothers, you could My set up a whole mouse. <laughs> yeah, you could set up a whole little thing, and um, you know what? Can you take those and do a nativity scene this Christmas just for my own personal yes. fun? Okay, thank you. R- you Rat can Bader choose Ginsburg. Who's who? Rat Bader Ginsburg is baby Jesus, but okay. she's so small. <laughs> That's true. 
Oh my gosh! Yeah, those the, are the wise well, men. Well, you got two wise men. You gotta have a third. <laughs> I'm the 15 foot Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. That's right. Okay, <laughs> so that's the three wise men. Uh, who else do we have in that story? Well, we have Abraham Lincoln who can be Joseph, and then and McGruff will put a little wig on. McGruff can be Mary, okay. and then there you go. And there and there you have it. Nativity uh, scene. Jesus uh, or yeah. McGruff is the reason. I guess uh, Rat Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Rat Bader Ginsburg is the reason for this season. As isn't it always? <laughs> That's just like the Rat Bader Ginsburg, like, has its little arms out. It looks so happy. Well, thank you so much, M, for sending that in. The next one is from Sam. And this one is, uh, to clarify, it's a different Sam. We have multiple Sams. Mm -hmm. The subject line of this one from Sam is, well, I guess that makes sense. Y'all are awesome. Let's get right to it. At my junior prom, I went with a friend. I knew he had a thing for me, but I made it expressly clear we were just friends. He was cool with it, or so I thought. We get to prom, and it was so much fun. I danced with a lot of people, and of course, I danced with my date. Fast forward to the end of the night. The plan was that my friends and I and our dates were going to hang out at a friend's house, and her mom was going to make us a late dinner slash early breakfast. I should pause to mention we lived in a very small rural town. Think one traffic light, a grocery store, farmland, and a shit ton of cows. Needless to say, it was a long, curvy, dirt road car ride to my friend's house. We start heading to my friend's house in our little caravan of cars. My date and I get into his car, and we are in the lead. It doesn't take long for me to realize he's upset. When I asked him what was wrong, all hell broke loose. Over the course of the 20-minute car ride, this psycho begins to shout and yell at me about how much of a slut I was for dancing with everyone and ignoring him completely which I didn't, not that it matters. He goes faster and faster down this curvy-ass road, and he starts crying and shouting about how much he loves me, and then he stops suddenly, nearly causing me to slide onto the floorboard. It's like a switch flipped. He turns to me, as calm as can be, and says, Did you know if two people die in the exact same way, at roughly the same time, that their souls are bound together for eternity? I'd love that. Wouldn't you? What the actual fuck? I had my back to the passenger door and tried my hardest to create as much distance as possible between us. Being completely shocked out of my mind, I was paralyzed and said nothing. He punches the gas and we take off again. He starts laughing and taunting me. Tell me you love me and I'll stop. And being the scared shitless 16-year-old I was, of course I started fawning. No shame in this girl's survival game. I laid it on thick. He eventually slowed down, turned to me and said... I knew you'd see things my way. Less than five minutes later, we pulled into my friend's driveway, and I walked right in to greet her mother with open arms. I spent the rest of the night as far as possible from that dude and moved schools shortly after prom so I never saw him again. I've told a few people about this over the years, and they asked what happened to him. I didn't know for the longest time, and one day I looked him up. Apparently, he's a mortician, and he's the assistant manager of a funeral home. Maybe he got the help he needed— Either way, it's a little creepy that the dude who wanted to kill me in high school handles dead bodies on the daily. Like I said, I guess that makes sense. If you want, I can tell you about the time I wound up lost on a Tennessee mountain in the middle of a commune with a leather-faced looking dude, complete with a chainsaw in hand, asking me if I was lost and needed help. I love when people in these with... And by the way, if you want to hear this insane story about the time that I was you know, face-to-face with a serial killer and I saved a burning 
bus of children. Let me know. And I'll, yes, always. Always. <laughs> like, the always whatever yes. the thing is at the end that you're like, hey, if you want to know about that, yes, we do. So please, <laughs> please send that in for sure. Feel free. Feel free. This is horrifying. This is very in line with the incel stuff we've been talking about today. These guys that think that they are entitled to a woman's affection and if they don't get it that it's their fault she's a slut she's a whore all of this is so scary especially when he's controlling the car you're in i mean absolutely you start saying i love you i love you he's could run you off a ditch and kill you it's a hostage situation and even with like your friends behind you, they're going to just see the explosion. It's not like they can stop it yeah, yeah. and save you. So, yeah, you got to do what you got to do to survive for real. Um, you're a better person than me because I would have run into that mama and been like, don't let this motherfucker That's, in. He just yeah. did all this shit to me. But you're also 16 and you're that is a 36 year old, 35, fixing me 36 mm-hmm. year old woman's opinion. And when you're 16, I probably would have been like, don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Shut it down. Uh, but that's a thing you think about of like that kid in school where you're like, oh, that kid that said violent things or did violent things. That's a good point that we wonder, you know, whatever happened to them? And then you go and look it up and go, OK, you know what? Death care is an extremely important business. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful gift that you give to families of like caring for their loved ones. But it is horrifying to think a person that has this tendency towards like, don't you want to die together? Yeah. Is has Real that intimate relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. That would. Oh, I've, I have a feeling there's more there to that that I don't want to explore. Yeah. That what he's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. If he's. His version of love involved dying together, mm-hmm. that it's he has some sort of connection between love and death or uh, intimacy and death that we don't. Um, I, now that you know, Sam, what funeral home he works at, you just don't take your loved ones no. there. Yeah, and tell others and, too. Yeah, tell others. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sending that in. And the next one is Chrissy. And the subject line is the real monster in the bed. When my now husband and I were engaged, he lived with his dad in Longview, Texas, while getting his BSNRN, while I stayed in College Station, pursuing my master's at Texas A&M. While the long-distance engagement was grueling, we both felt making wise, educational choices was a top priority, despite having to be apart. To make matters more complicated, we chose to, um, wait for marriage, which meant when we did get to see each other, we said goodnight and retired to different bedrooms. My husband's family is relatively well-off and lives in a custom-built home on a newly developed plot of land. Additionally, my father-in-law loves pugs. He's a vet and always has at least one pug. The pug he had while I was dating and engaged to Brennan was named Elvis. At the time of the story, Elvis was partially blind and about 13 years old. After watching a movie with the family and noticing how snugly Elvis was being, I asked if Elvis is allowed to sleep in the bed. I'm one of those people who's always let dogs sleep with me, and for some reason that weekend, something just felt off in the house. Like the air was heavy. Every creak and crack of the house was amplified. The woods surrounding the house seemed extra dark, even though the moon shone brightly. I was unsettled and felt like having a bed buddy would ease the tension I was feeling. Everyone told me that Elvis can absolutely sleep with me and even said he would sleep under the covers. I was elated and relieved. But when I kissed my sweet fiancé goodnight and went to the guest bedroom with Elvis, I still was on edge. I paid close attention to my surroundings. I noticed I was sweating, but I didn't want to become vulnerable to a ghostly touch by removing my covers. Then 
I realized the house was silent. The air conditioner wasn't even blowing. I got up and crept outside of Brennan's room to the thermostat. 80 degrees in the summer. What sort of sociopath sleeps with a thermostat set to 80 degrees? Knowing my father-in-law was on the other side of the house, I took the liberty of correcting this egregious offense and blasting it down to 68. He's rich. I didn't care. My husband heard me shuffling outside his room and came to check on me. I explained to him I couldn't sleep as he walked me back to bed. As I crawled in the bed, I told him I felt like I was being watched and that the silence of the house was terrifying. I wished I had earplugs to block out the silence. He got on his knees to be eye level with me as I laid in bed. He tenderly stroked my forehead and said, Baby, there's nothing to be scared of, and even if hauntings were real, there's no way this house is haunted. My dad had it built. The only thing scary that's ever happened to me here was one time I had sleep paralysis, and this woman who looked like a witch came into my room and jumped on top of me and screamed in my face until I was able to snap myself out of it, and then I watched her run out of my bedroom. There's nothing to be scared of. With this, he kissed my forehead, said sweet dreams, and sauntered off to bed. What the actual heck? While we share religious beliefs, my husband is not a believer in the supernatural and had never mentioned sleep paralysis. In fact, even today after being together over 10 years, this was the only time we would ever mention it. I laid in the bed, panic-stricken, in the deafening silence with Elvis under the covers with me until the air conditioning unit cooled me off to a light sleep. When I woke up, Elvis was still in bed, but something was off. I threw back the covers to check on Elvis, and he opened an eye to look at me. And that's when I saw it. Turds. Elvis shit the bed. While I was terrified of a sleep paralysis witch, the real horror was in the bed with me the entire time, silently and motionlessly shitting next to my legs. I then had to explain to my father-in-law and his wife that Elvis shit the bed and that I was going to wash the sheets. They laughed and said, oh yeah, that's why he doesn't sleep with us. I can't decide what the real horror of the story is, but I'd love to hear your opinion. Cheers. I had to stifle laughter because Brennan. <laughs> Brennan, dude. <laughs> you can't start a sentence with, baby, there's nothing to be scared of. And then go into that story. <laughs> there was just this one time that I was asleep and a witch jumped on top of me. I thought I was going to die. She ran out of the wo- room. It's whatever. There, there's nothing to be scared of. Anyway, sweet dreams. <laughs> And shut the door. <laughs> That's some Paris shit. He would say, like, don't even worry. It's just, like, it's just horrifying. It's, say, a horrifying thing. Anyway, don't worry. Love you. Bye. Yeah. You're like, why? You just made this way worse. It's just no big deal. Oh, sweet Elvis. I love pugs so much. I had a pug at one point. He was so sweet. They just, oh, those little smushy, wrinkly faces. <laughs> I love them. The thought of Elvis, because in my head, he did not get up to shit. No. He no. was sound asleep laying down. <laughs> Maybe just, just scooted. It. Maybe hiked it a little bit, but not really. Didn't even get on all fours. Mm-mm. And just turds fell out. Yeah. Just let it go. <laughs> Goose will do that. Sometimes when we're walking, she'll like walk poop. I have to turn like around and be like. Yeah. Like, yeah. When I'm, we're walking down the street. Yeah. She doesn't do it in the house unless she's no, mad. No, a horse. Like oh, a yeah, horse like, shits when they yes. walk. Yeah. Yes, yeah. she is like a horse. Absolutely. Yeah, she'll, she'll, we'll be walking down the street. I have to turn around and look because then I'll see like little Tootsie Rolls like waiting oh. for me on the sidewalk behind. I have to turn around, walk back, pick them up. I'm like, Maybe she's just making sure you don't get lost. She's living little breadcrumbs <laughs> so you can find your way home. Leave a little dookie, dookie <laughs> road home. Yeah, pretty. She, like I said, she only shits in the house when she's like, uh, 
vindictive shits. Ooh. Elvis sounds like this was a relaxation shit. I think he was so calm that it just happened. Good He's for chilling. you, buddy. He's chilling. Now, He's I'm 13. sorry. I'm sorry, Chrissy, that you had that happen. <sighs> but, you know, who amongst us hasn't slept in the bed with dog shit? With a turd. Yeah, if it's a puppy or an older dog, yeah, both mm-hmm. of those things have happened to me. So, luckily yeah. the goose doesn't, like I said, she doesn't shit in the bed. She'll just, like, find a spot on the carpet if she's mad. And, well, it's a rare occurrence, but mm-hmm. it's usually, like, she's raging. <laughs> it's been a minute since we've had animals do that in the house. However, when we were out of town in Denver and my mom stayed with the kids, there was a very, <laughs> got a very stressed out text because... My mom had gotten home with the kids and Petal had broken out of her area in the house and was just running around the house because she was scared because she broke out of her area because someone was here mowing the lawn and she's terrified of the lawnmower and leaf blower sounds. So that's what caused her to panic. But then my mom was also very admittedly stressed and didn't know what to do. So she was like screaming and the kids were screaming and Petal was just running from room to room spraying pee and pooping we've never seen her do this i was like what this has never occurred so she was very stressed out she's fine now everybody don't worry but so recently we had a an incident like this with an animal too usually it's it's a uh, star it's sparked by something although yeah. it sounds like elvis they just knew he's like frank reynolds on always sunny he's just like i was me i pooped the bed it was me. yeah also when she's like hey can elvis sleep with me and they're like oh yeah he'll sleep under the covers <laughs> Also, there's a chance he may poop. I Give think that's information you need to know. Yes. Just some, just FYI. Yeah. This just is be why aware. he doesn't sleep with us. Yeah. No. Well. <laughs> but you know what? They wanted her to find out. Yes. You were being indoctrinated into this family. Well, we tell had a lot Brennan. of Texas stories this time, too. Yeah, we had some neighbors. Yeah, have your husband write about his witch experience. I'm interested in oh, the details yeah. of that. Yeah. Hear the other side of it. It's probably just as long as that. Where it's like, it's no big deal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, what? She jumped on me. She, she just copies face. and pastes what she wrote about it. Yeah. She had the face of a thousand demons. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> anyway, it's not a big deal. She said, I'll be back. I'll be back for your wife and your children. She was on fire. I didn't sleep for three months after that. It's, you know, <laughs> uh, it's probably a lot of unpacked trauma I haven't dealt with. But anyways, yeah, there's nothing to worry about. Bye. Love you. <laughs> well, thank you, Chrissy. And thank you, everyone else that sent in your stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot. You've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being. Send them in at Sinisterhood.com slash Freaky Friday. Speaking of our website, I would like to invite everyone to go to Sinisterhood.com slash live shows and get your tickets to our October 27th live show at the Texas Theater. If you, like several of these submitters, is, are in the Dallas area, come on down to the Texas Theater. It's an iconic location. And if you can't make it here, no worries. You can watch it live from your own house in real time. And you can also watch a replay for up to 10 days after the event. So even if you come to it live and you want to go back and relive the memory, you can Mm -hmm. buy both tickets if you want. It doesn't matter. Either way, come hang out with us. It's the night. It's my birthday eve. So we'll have a fun, creepy event. We're going to have some Judge Christie submissions. We should take some virtual submissions, too. We can figure that out. I'm all for it. I think I can figure it out. You know me. I love my forms. I'll I'll figure out a form for Judge Christie versus virtual submissions but that way you can all feel like you're part of it go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows to join us on october 27th be there or we are not friends anymore i'm just kidding we are but it's like my birthday so like we're not (laughs) (laughs) which heather legitimately unironically 
recently said to me, I'm sorry if I was being a square. So <laughs> now I'm bringing this back into the 2022 vernacular. Every generation has their own language. We're taking a little chunk from the 50s. Boomers? Are they boomers? Yeah, I think that's a boomer Okay, phrase. we're bringing it back, though. We're bringing it back. I love it. <laughs> We love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost, so if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We're a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, recording, and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like ad-free episodes, a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airways and Getting Into It tier, special shout-out on the show, monthly bonus mini-sode for September, it is Loab, the AI cryptid, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, including Am I the Asshole, Relationship Advice, Judge Christie, Dear Sinister, True Crime Headlines, and so much more. You also have the fun perk of access to our Discord server, where you can connect with other fans in real time and discuss the latest in true crime, share personal ghost stories, or just post adorable pictures of your pets. We hop on occasionally, and we host monthly Q&As on Crowdcast, where you can ask us all your burning questions. This month we already had our Crowdcast, but you can watch the replay of the live stream when you sign up. We had quite a fun time imagining what the Sinisterhood, the Men of Sinisterhood calendar would look like. Yes, and we have, we're recording this on Thursday, and our live stream is tonight, so I'm going to preemptively say we had a great time on our live stream, (laughs) and we're doing a new one this time. Craigslist misconnections from rural areas, and I gotta say I'm real excited. I've I laughed out loud finding some of these and some of them I'm like, oh, I have questions. So we're going <laughs> to so many we're going to try to fill in the answers because we can't. I mean, I guess we could email these folks, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> I don't want to connect. I'm all right. <laughs> Let that connection remain missed. Mm-hmm. For our patrons not in the U.S., you have the option of paying pounds or euros, saving you the cost of the conversion fee. Annual memberships for all tiers are also now available. Those that select this option will be rewarded with a free month of membership. For more details on all of this and specific member tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click Patreon on the top banner. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. If you want to get some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com, click on Shop on the top banner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. You can also share any episode by clicking the three dots in the top right corner and share topic-based playlists from Spotify by visiting Sinisterhood.com slash playlists. All of this means so much to us and really helps podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. We are also on TikTok and YouTube at Sinisterhood Podcast. Christy, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and TikTok and Twitter at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm everywhere and nowhere all at once. Isn't that <laughs> what you said all? earlier? Aren't we always? Aren't That's we right. all? Yeah. <laughs> I am on Twitter at MCK versus the world and I'm on the TikTok and Instagram at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. in it.